0: Hi and welcome to the Courageous Mama podcast. It's lovely to have you back with me again this week. Thank you for your messages, your input and your invaluable questions. It really helps to guide and steer where we go for your parenting needs at the moment. Last week we chatted about anger, aggression and overreaction in our children. We looked at the ways that we can respond to young children when they're aggressive towards a sibling or a friend this week we're going to look at how to respond to older children the teens and the tweens but not when they're unkind to each other so much but actually when they're disrespectful to us because that tends to be the greater issue as they move up the ages They're now moving in friendships of their own and places of their own, schools when they go back. And so the greater issue is not so much them clocking each other over the head with a toy as it might have been when they were a toddler, but actually it's how they're reacting to us. And the tweens can come as a bit of a surprise. We fully expect that they'll flex their muscles in the teens, but you might have a child who's eight, nine or 10 and you've got stomping up the stairs or banging on doors or worse, and you're wondering, has that all come a little bit too soon? I wasn't quite ready for what we might term as teenage behavior quite so soon. Well, it's perfectly normal. It's a hormonal surge coupled with some neural realization that they need to experience some more independence and that anger can be a reaction to feeling limited, or in their minds, injustice. In our minds, age-appropriate limits. Limits and expectations are boundaries, and the bigger they get, the less they like them. But boundaries are a good thing if they're well thought through. So what do we do when they react poorly to those boundaries, when they overstep the mark? Well, let's look at the soft love first. As you know, I talk about soft love and strong love. So for the soft love, if they're repetitively reacting to something, for example, bedtime, then it's probably worth taking a look at your boundaries and just seeing whether there are some areas where you could compromise. Not in the flashpoint moment, but just stepping back a bit. I don't mean rewarding poor behavior, but just seeing whether the root of their frustration has any genuine grounds. You can spend a bit of time with them outside of the flashpoint moments and ask them, are there some areas of family life that you're struggling with? And you might think, oh no, no, I don't want to ask that question. They're gonna ask for something I don't wanna give them. And it does feel daring. But then you are on the courageous mama, so you're bound to be stretched. And whilst it might feel like you're opening a can of worms, just because you're asking courageous questions doesn't mean you're obliged to grant every request, you're listening. However, you could ask them where they could see some compromise. They're incredibly clever and actually without the extra stresses of wash loads and shopping and cooking and a job, they can be quite clear thinking at times. And you might find yourself saying, well, I can't give you no bedtime, but what if we move it up by quarter of an hour or half an hour? And we can try that for a month and as long as you stick to it, we can keep it there and you could even talk about them being less reactive at that new bedtime in order to show you that they've got that maturity to carry that. Sometimes feeling that they've got influence helps them to work with the boundary rather than against it it's a bid for freedom. And if you can give them a little bit, you might get a better version of them. That doesn't mean to say that the boundary necessarily is wrong. Perhaps you visit it, step back from it, and decide, actually, right now I can't expand that. And maybe it's not bedtime, of course. Perhaps it's that they can't go to town on their own or get a dog or not tidy their bedroom. But maybe they've got some compromise ideas. I've found over the years that what I think they'll ask and what they actually ask is hugely different. Sometimes they just need a bit of wiggle room. For example, can I do my bedroom by that time or that day rather than this day? In an earlier podcast, podcast four, I talk about empathy. And having these conversations is a great place to keep that poker face and not overreact if they do happen to give you a preposterous suggestion. All negotiations start with a bit of a cheeky bid, don't they? And if they do end up having a good whinge about how awful it feels being in your family, how hemmed in they feel, try to be empathetic. That's their genuine opinion. And you probably remember feeling the same way once. So try to react calmly and objectively to their complaints. These moments are sacred. They're the testing ground. They may not know it, but they're clocking whether you're big enough for their disappointments and their frustrations, or whether you'll just lose your cool completely. And these are the reference points for them to come back to and remember when the stakes get bigger later on. Can I tell mum or dad? Will they be chill or will they just freak out? And it doesn't mean you can't have feelings about the catastrophes in their lives later on or the difficult things that they're laying on you right now. It just means keep your poker face. I don't mean keep a po face, I just mean don't overreact. Just make space for their feelings first and that will enable them to trust you. Understanding doesn't mean agreeing, it means understanding. If you can't offer them a compromise now, perhaps you could let them know what your game plan is so that you can give them some sort of hope for the next stage. And if they are stomping upstairs or banging doors, let's remember they haven't got many other options when they're amped up. You and I, we've got gin and tonic, we've got wine, we've got chocolate. Anger, in and of itself, is not a bad emotion. What they do with their anger is the issue. And those two things can get lumped together and a child can receive the message, you're not allowed to be angry. Well, that's just not possible. It's a healthy human emotion and if they're not allowed to feel it and express it, it will hide inside them and they'll need to find a way to soothe it or it will burst out of them. So give them a valve, allow them to express it but put boundaries in around how they express it. Give them a pillow to punch or scream into, buy a punch bag, acknowledge that sometimes life feels really difficult and that anger doesn't have to stay inside them listen without judgment. But anger doesn't entitle them to hurt people or destroy things. If they're damaging things in your house, create a repayment system. Don't undervalue your house because you don't want yet more of that frustration from them. Walk it out with them gently but firmly. And a good question to ask ourselves when our children are being disrespectful is have I displayed self-respect. We need to model self-respect in order for them to pick it up as a value. Teenagers are going to act out of the experiences that they've had up to this point. In my book I talk about the effects of different styles of parenting and it's really worth knowing what they are but in short if they've experienced a commanding parenting style they will want to respond in the same way. Commanding parenting is the don't do as I do, do as I say style, and the goal of commanding parenting is that they follow through with that or expectation, that boundary, come what may. And in the long run, children of commanding parents often rebel. They've grown up in a culture of commands. They've learned that pushing and raising voices gets things done, and so that's what they begin to do, but they turn it on you. And just as a side note here, if your children are raising their voice from time to time, it doesn't mean you've been a commanding parent. So don't hear that as a condemnation, but I'm saying if that's a practice, you can fully expect around the early teens or late tweens, you'll get a lot of pushback. The other effect of commanding parenting is that children find secret ways to meet their needs or preferences. And that gnaws away at the integrity of the parent-child relationship because the child goes behind the parents' backs. And I imagine that you can probably remember a friend or two from childhood where that happened. They snuck out at night. They snuck into the larder to get something that they want. Commanding parenting breeds deceit because it's disconnected. And the bigger issue with this is that they'll toe the line as long as you're watching. What they do out of your line of vision could be a whole different thing. They're being trained to put on a good show in front of you. They've been coached on the outside, but not grown on the inside. The commanding parent isn't modelling self-worth. It might look like it, but there's fear in the mix. If you need to raise your voice and be commanding, there's fear. And among other things, that fear might be that gentleness might look like weakness or a fear that things just won't get done if I don't really press my point home. Another parenting style, completely differently, is where we've allowed the child to become the centre of our world, the king of the home or the queen of the home. And it's so easily done because we just love them so much. But we can quietly be sending the message that they have more value than us. And in devaluing ourselves, we're disrespecting ourselves. And in time, they will too. Are you treating yourself with value? Or are you the on-call, meet everyone's needs, never mind about me parent? If you feel like it, then the chances are you might be doing it, and it's easily done because life feels good when our children are happy and I love happy kids and I love to support them, but there's a gentle line in the sand that can get quite easily erased and their needs can start to eclipse everything. But then when they get into the teen years, they'll behave out of that perspective. It's all they know. And it's easy then to say, well, they're teenagers, what do you expect? And that's the big question. What do you expect? What did you expect? You might end up with a self fulfilling prophecy. And the world will tell you teens are a nightmare. And you'll lean on that and go, well, it was to be expected. But it isn't true. We were so blessed to have some parents around us who'd managed to enjoy the teens. I know my parents loved our teens. So I came to it with an expectation that it was at least possible and made it my business to go and find out from those people how is it possible? What can I put in place to make that a reality? How can I expect something different than what the world is saying? And if you haven't picked up that message, then take it from me. These can be great fun years. They're passion filled and they're explorative and they can be explosive, but the opportunity for connection is not eliminated. Be careful with the messages of the world. They're not always right. So take a look at the level of respect in the home, how you treat yourself, how you make time for your own interests and friends, how you speak about yourself, oh, I'm so silly, oh, you know, careful about those words over yourself, and how you let your children and others treat you, how you and your partner treat each other, how you treat your parents, how you speak about your parents behind their backs, Raising teens isn't just about the outcome in the big moments. It's about the culture in the home. And in the end, we're still paying the bills and keeping a roof over their heads. So although we have the same value as them, we are charged with authority. Someone has to run the home and they're not ready. It isn't their job. We're born to seek leadership. They'll be looking for it. So let's not erode that because we want their favour or we don't dare to say no to them because of the backlash. How we behave toward them sets the culture for the home. So try and keep that volume and tone at the level that you want to hear it back. Strong parenting isn't loud. Gentleness is strength under control. Raising your voice only sends the message, you don't need to respond to me, until i'm shouting until i'm raising my voice until i'm upset now i do want to concede here that we're not going to get it right all of the time we're human but aiming for a respectful volume means that we'll probably get it right many times and we'll grow in that and it's difficult to cover all the scenarios but let's take a few responses that could help us when they're being rude if they're wanting you to concede to something by being rude let them know We can chat about this when we're both feeling calm. Don't engage when they're at that level or soon you'll be there too. One of the helpful one-liners that I found from an organisation called Love & Logic was I love you too much to argue about this. And when I say we're both feeling calm it's because A, it's true and B, it avoids that accusatory word you because they'll really react to that and they'll quickly tell you, I am calm. And if they're being abusive because they're frustrated, you can ask them to leave the room. And if they won't leave the room, you can leave the room calmly. The firmer you can be about this and the earlier you can put it in place, the easier it will be. But don't back down just because they're bigger. Hold your nerve. It may mean that dinner is late. It may mean that you run late, but hold your nerve. Now, I realize that there are gonna be moments when that's not a reality for you to leave the room. If it's a morning dispute and you're trying to get off to work, that just isn't gonna fly. So in that scenario, you might need to calmly finish doing what you're doing before you leave, but let them know that you're not coping with the tone or volume, but you'd love to hear what they've got to say when you're both feeling calmer you're modelling self-respect right there. But in most scenarios, you remove them or yourself and then it's a case of coming back to it. Well, they won't be big fans of that. They've had their outburst, they've said their piece and they've probably moved on. But the heart of this podcast is about connection. So it's good to come back to that conversation and reconnect. And before I go on to the next stage of what to do, I'm just going to interrupt our chat today to say, if you're enjoying The Courageous Mama, you'll definitely enjoy the book, Parenting for Life. Listen to what the readers have to say. This book is absolute gold dust. I bought this book to give away, but I'm keeping it. This book has so many helpful suggestions for the modern family, and it's helpful for our marriage too. This book is a must in every home. If I was to buy just one book on parenting, this would be the book. And so I've made Parenting for Life available to you, my listeners, for a £5 discount. It's a hardback, beautiful, fully illustrated book where you can literally just pick out a page. I know what it's like. You've got loads of books by your bed and they're just gathering dust. But this one, you can pick it out. You can do one page and it'll give you something that you need for tomorrow. And also you can read it from cover to cover or you can just pick out a chapter and really major on empathy or major on boundaries or major on Putting culture into your home, building a family identity. Lots of stuff in there on social media as well, and what to do in the face of sibling rivalry, endless stuff. Have a look on the website and you'll get a little overview of what it's like. And I've got that in the show notes. But it's www.thecourageousmama.com That's not hard to remember, is it? So come across and have a look at it there, and you'll get it for the special discount price. So back to today's chat. But if they refuse to discuss it, that's fine. It won't be long before they want or need something from you, whether it's a lift or a meal or an item of clothing that they've lost or that they need to be cleaned. And I'm not suggesting that we hold our parenting chores to ransom, but it's not appropriate to carry on as though nothing had happened. Easier and less courageous that that would be. How about gently suggesting that you'd like to come back to the dispute before I take you at four o'clock to sport or whatever. And then they've got space and time to know that, well, it's up to them. They know the time frame. You're not saying, I need to chat with you right now, right this second, you're giving them that space, that freedom that they're so craving. But you're also saying there's a boundary there. And if that's not a reality, because there isn't time before they need the next thing from you, you can always say, before you leave, let's make a time to commit to chat about what went wrong earlier. And that might give you a day or so to get to a calmer place. A bit of time and distance can help us with perspective. But what will not help you is if it's not addressed. You're modelling self-respect. You're showing respect. You're demonstrating that it's healthy to talk things through. They're living in a culture of defriending. The world is telling them that if someone gets on your nerves, someone gets you go, drop them. Move on. Relationships for life require the rough as well as the smooth. And these are hopefully relationships for life. We'll be parenting adults for an awful lot longer than we're parenting children for. So it's worth investing now in that relationship of the future. And they need to see that conflict can be gentle. It can be resolved. They can survive the pain of facing their errors. We live in a shame culture. Give them an opportunity to see that you're big enough for this. They don't need to carry shame for their behaviour. It can be resolved. And you may think, well, they're not carrying shame. They're over it. Don't be fooled. Unresolved issues have their price. You only need to listen to Brené Brown for a little bit to find out what the culture of shame is. It's a deeply rooted issue today. So how do we resolve when we finally get that moment to sit down with them? Well, first of all, we listen. You might wanna say something like, tell me what you were thinking yesterday morning when dot, dot, dot happened. And they might not be keen to talk about it. They might not be used to talking with you in this way. And you might say, no, it, it is, it's hard to talk, but I'd really love to hear what that problem was. Bringing in this culture is difficult at first, but they will build the muscle of restoration and reconciliation when you're patient, when you're unjudging, when you're not going to take them to their friends until we talk and as they talk try and make the goal of the conversation understanding rather than getting to an agreement you may never agree but you can always understand in fact keep that in mind for all your disagreements with anyone and particularly with your partner and let your child know that's your game plan darling we might not see this the same way but it would be good to understand each other and when you've heard them out let them know how it felt for you and what behavior you'll need to see in order to be able to listen to their unmet needs and respond properly in their moments of need this isn't the moment to give it to them with both barrels this is just time for you to share what it felt like it was upsetting to be spoken to in that way. I find it hard to meet your needs when I'm shouted at. Notice there are no use in that sentence. I find it hard to think when I'm being disrespected. It means I have to postpone my response to your need. And that is all it's all about. Their unmet need. I need to go out. I need to go out later. I need a later bedtime. I need more money. I need more freedom, less homework, not to have to help around the house, not to do things to your timing. I need to do things on my terms and my timing. Unmet needs. And of course, a reality is it's unmet desires because we're not really talking about basic needs for survival here, but they do feel like needs to them in the heat of the moment. There are many benefits to this approach. One of them will be that next time they want to flare up at you, they'll think twice about it because they know they're going to have to disseminate it at a later point. And the other benefit is that you can tell them how to behave in those moments when they feel upset or angry or furious even. Let them know what they can do with all that anger. They're allowed to have it. They can punch a pillow or the punch bag. They can go and take a breath outside. They can take a minute. They can come back and let them know what you will respond to. That they can say, I'm feeling really frustrated right now and I'm going to try and get this right, mum, dad. But what I need is this. Can you help me? If you can coach them into knowing what you need in that moment, they'll be far more likely to learn how to behave in order to get things done and that'll benefit both of you. It doesn't guarantee you'll do things but it means that you'll be connected in their difficult moments and now I hear you say but what about my resolution? I've calmed down, I've removed myself, I've chatted with them, I've restored peace but the very thing that caused all the grief in the first place is still there the fact that they weren't respecting bedtime or screen time or meal times, whatever kicked it off in the first place. Well, first to say that the aim of this podcast was dealing with the disrespect and their response to anger. So that's what we've majored on. But I hear you. And you want to keep the boundaries in place without being commanding. And you want to be authoritative and gentle. Then I recommend consequences, not punishments, not whipping away their tech, not stopping their allowance for a year, but putting in a well thought through logical consequence. And they're all laid out in podcast seven. But before I end, it's worth just saying that all of this sits best in the context of having time with that child, one-on-one, outside the conflict moments, outside the house if possible. An intentional time with them, about once a month. We used to do 40 minutes once a month, just to spend time to invest. You're not on the way somewhere, it's not whilst you're doing something, unless it's intentionally going for a walk or going out for a hot chocolate or a Coke or whatever it is. They're at an age where they could convince you that they're not interested. Their friends are far more fun. But take this as fact. Your love, your attention and your input fills a longing in them That nobody else can, even if they're not in touch with it. So hang in there, make time, take an interest and in that space hold back your advice and just send them the message that your relationship is important, you want to hear about their world. Even if the distractions of their life feel more exciting for a few years, you're staying in there, you're still being you. Soft love, strong love, soft strong kids. Any questions or feedback or thoughts I'm easy to find and as you may know I see parents on a one-to-one or two-to-one basis to chat things through so do come and find me at madelinestanny at icloud.com and that's in the show notes. Also if you want to get the text from this podcast I've got it all in the blog on that website so do go and have a look for it there and that's where you'll also find the book and you can get the feel and the look of it on there so thank you so much for listening i'll see you next week